In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who is Jesus? What has he done? What is he doing now? Those are my three topics tonight. And if I do them right, you will understand the Eucharistic revival. Who is Jesus? What has he done? What is he doing now? First question. What has he done? I'm going to give you three options. You can come up with a fourth, but I don't like it already. Three options. What has he done? Jesus has made a good person better. <laughs> All right, good. I'm already seeing your faces. Option B. He's made a sick person well. Let's see. Option C. He's made a dead person alive. Maybe you're already confused. When I say person, I mean you, okay? He's made a good person better. He's made a sick person well. He's made a dead person alive. Now, I think a lot of people reject the idea of letter A, but they believe it. In fact, I'm a priest, right? So I hear confessions all the time. And regularly, the first thing out of a penitent's mouth when they come to confession, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. <clears throat> you know, Father, I, uh, I try to be a good person. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're in a confessional, though. Jesus didn't make a good person better or even a sort of mediocre person better or even like a bad person better. If you adhere to that and that's your sort of ultimate idea of what Jesus has done, then in the end, you can take him or leave him without a whole lot of consequence. Because if he makes a good life better, or if he makes a bad life better, and all that he's doing is sort of improving the quality of this life now, you're still going to die. 
St. Paul says, if we have believed in him, if we have hoped in him for this life only, we are pitiable people. All right, so you can choose A, but I ask you not to. Now, how about B? Jesus has made a sick person well. Well, Father, that's clearly the answer. In fact, Jesus himself says so in Luke chapter 5. Those who are healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Okay, looks like it's B then. What about C? Well, let's stay on B for a moment. He says he has come as physician for the sick. But what is it that he says the sickness is? Listen. Those who are healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. Okay, B so far. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. What is the sickness that he has come to be physician for? He has come to be physician for sin. That's not a physical sickness. If you remember from Genesis, huh? Chapter 2. From that tree you shall not eat. The moment you eat from it, you are surely doomed to die. They eat. Do they die? They do not die a physical death. So is God a liar? He said they were going to die. God is not a liar. Therefore, they died. What did they die? They didn't die a simple physical death. They didn't become sick of body. They became sick of soul in the moment that they disobeyed him. Through sin. This is the sickness that Jesus has come to be physician for. And what does sin do? It kills. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. All right. Where are we at so far? We're still on the first multiple choice question of our evening. It's not A. He didn't come to make a good life better. Otherwise, we're pitiable. And also, he did not come simply to make a sick person well. Because the sickness we have is death of soul. Therefore, I will propose to you that the answer to this question of what has he done, that the answer is C, which is he has made a dead person alive. Now I start with this because if we don't get this right, what he has done, then we cannot know who he is. And for sure we can't know who he is for us. Because if he's only made a good life better or only made a sick person well, then he is not who the scriptures say that he is. And it will be easy for us to dismiss him. 
So maybe some of you are saying, no, no, no. He did letter D and you have something else to put in there of letter D. Go ahead and propose it to me afterward. I think it's C. He's coming to make a dead person alive. What are you saying, Father? You're saying we're dead? Well, I'm saying he came to make a dead person alive. That's what he has come to do. So if you're dead, I'm sorry. Hopefully you're alive. Hopefully this is a historical thing for you. Like it's in your past. But if we don't know what he has come to do and then we don't know what we've been saved from, then he's really not that great of a guy and he's not really a savior. All right. So what has Jesus done for me? What has he done for you? What has he done for us? He has come to make dead people alive. That's the good news. You were dead. Well, you don't have to believe me. Let's go to scripture. Colossians chapter 2. Starting in verse number 12. And you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Are you catching letter C here? Are you catching it? Are you with me? And you who were dead in your trespasses, he has made alive. What has Jesus done? He has made a dead person alive. What has he done for you? He has made a dead person alive. And it goes on. He's canceled the bond which stood against us with all of its legal demands. And he set it aside and he nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them triumphing over them in Christ. What's the image? Christ trampling your adversaries. Christ trampling your enemies. Christ trampling everything which came against you. Namely, death and sin. He trampled them on the cross. What has Christ done for you? He's trampled your enemies and he's made dead people alive. I love it when I start to see smiles on your faces. Some people ran away. They couldn't take it. But smiles because you're recognizing your savior. What has he done? Uh, you, you know, my life was pretty good, but like he made it even better. That's pathetic. It's not Christian. I was dead in my transgressions and sins. And he made me alive. By the end of tonight, I want you to be able to say that to everybody you meet. Because that's Christianity. It's the gospel. And you who were dead in your trespasses, God has made alive in Christ. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So just want to spend a moment... <clears throat> on the gospel. Now, I don't mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
I mean the message of good news of salvation in Christ. What is it? Well, we don't have time, but I've written a 300-page book on everything that St. Paul says is the gospel. But we'll take you through a brief course, huh? What is the central proclamation of the Christian church? Here's where I wanted to step back and evaluate a few things with you. In the early church, then we're going to apply it in the modern church, okay? So just stick with me. In the early church, there was this guy named Marcion. All right, he's doing his thing. And he drew a complete divide between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And it's an error because there's only one God. The same God who revealed himself in the old is the same God who revealed himself in the new. We don't have a new God all of a sudden. So this is an error. Marcion is was proposing an error. But what he said was the God of the Old Testament was wrathful and mad. Okay? And the God of the New Testament is merciful and kind. And he's wrong. Because there's only one God. And so that same God somehow from time to time manifests his fatherly solicitude with sternness Okay. And at other times came along as a loving and nurturing savior, the same God. We don't believe what Marcion held, okay? There's not two gods. There's not a message of the Old Testament and a message of the new. It's one message. Salvation through God's loving revelation. All right, so why do I bring attention to that? That's like way in the past and has nothing to do with now. Well, well, in the 20th century and the 21st century, I think there's a similar thing. I'm not making any dogmatic statements at all. I think there's a similar thing that goes on with regard to the church prior to the Second Vatican Council and the church after the Second Vatican Council or the method of the church prior to the Second Vatican Council and the method of the church after the Second Vatican Council. Similar to Marcion, actually, is I think the way a lot of people put it, that before the Second Vatican Council, all we believed in was hell and all the priests ever talked about was hell. And now after the council, we talk about heaven and all we believe in is heaven. Okay. People say this. People believe this. And what I would propose to you is that neither of these positions, if they're being held at all, neither of these positions is the gospel. To say that everyone's in sin and going to hell, that's not a gospel. It's a pre-gospel, if anything. To say that heaven is yours sounds like a gospel, except it doesn't include why heaven is yours. So it's like a post-gospel. 
And I think this is typically what happens in preaching. I know you're maybe not preachers, but I think this is what typically happens in preaching. People either focus on in their preaching on the fact that everybody is a sinner and they're all going to be damned and go to hell, or they focus on, no, we don't want to say that. We just want to say that God is loving and you can go to heaven. And so just keep it up, soldier. Notice that in neither of these have I mentioned the name of Jesus. Problem. Problem, right? Big problem. Who's the Savior? Jesus. Who came on the scene to save us? Jesus. What's the New Testament about? Jesus. So what ought our proclamation be? What is the message that we ought to receive? The gospel. Not the pre-gospel. You're all going to hell. And not the post-gospel. Everybody's going to heaven. Don't worry about it. Neither. Neither of the gospel. The gospel is this. Jesus came on the scene. Jesus died. Jesus rose on the third day. Jesus ascended. Jesus will come again. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the central message of the Christian church. I'll give you 500 examples from Paul. Not tonight. But let's look at one. Just to see what Jesus did. So you can fully understand that he's not the savior letter A or letter B. Doing good things or just healing a little bit of my life. That he took dead people and he made them alive. And he did it in obedience to his father. And he did it because he loves you. And he did it not because we were good. You're going to see that very clearly. He did it because he's good. If nothing else, catch this. Salvation is about God being good, not about you being good. You're never going to be good enough. But he is. Catch that. So in Romans chapter 5, it's the only text we'll deal with besides Colossians although we should deal with more. In Romans chapter 5, I want you to hear what St. Paul says and see if you can catch the pre-gospel and the post-gospel and the gospel, like the whole story, in one simple passage, about five or six verses long. All right, so I'm going to hear the whole thing, and I'm going to explain it to you and see if this might just be the remedy that we need. Romans chapter 5. Starting in verse number six. While we were yet helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Why, one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for a good man, one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we are now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom we have received our reconciliation. All right, you heard it. Now we're going to explore it together because we got to get this. This is the gospel. This is the message. This is the central proclamation of the Christian church. And if we only talk about the first half or we only talk about the second half and we forget to talk about the one who accomplishes this, then we're not going to know who he is. That's why we're starting with what he did so that we might understand who he is, our good savior. Now, where do we find ourselves? This is terrible news, what I'm going to tell you, just so you know. Really, really, really terrible news. Where did we find ourselves? Paul says four things. In verse number six, you were helpless for salvation. We were helpless. We were ungodly. We were sinners, verse number eight. And we were enemies. Yay. Yay. Yay, nobody's clapping. Helpless, ungodly sinners and enemies. Paul says that is what you were. Helpless for salvation, you cannot get there on your own. Ungodly, unpleasing to God. Sinner, separated, warped, turned in on yourself, choosing evil rather than good. Sin. And ho, 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 enemy. You were an enemy of God. That's what the Bible says you were. Notice, were. Very important verb tense. Sounds like the Old Testament stuff. Sounds like the pre-Vatican II preaching, or however you want to put it. This is the way that St. Paul declares that we were before and without Christ. Yeah, I had a pretty good life, but like he made it better. Is that square with this? You know, I was a little bit sick, but like he gave me a cough drop. Does that square with this? Does not square. Does not square. Not even close does it square. You were. All right. What are you now? That was the word. What about the now? Like, please give us something. Help us out, father, brother, or something, right? What are you now? Now. You're justified. You're saved. And you're reconciled. That's what Paul says you are now. You're justified, you're saved, and you're reconciled. Justified, meaning that which was ungodly, now is godly. I was not pleasing, now I'm pleasing to God. Really? Justified. Saved. It means I was lost and damned. Now I will be found with an inheritance in heaven. And reconciled. I was turned against or turned away from, and now I have been brought back face to face in a loving relationship, reconciled. I am justified. I am saved. I am reconciled. What changed? 
That's a big change. Like it's the biggest change possible. I can't think of a bigger change. Like what's bigger than a 180? A 181? No, that's like a 179. Both are like not 180. It's a full change. What changed? What happened? Well, guess what? Paul wants to tell you. Paul wants to tell you exactly what happened. I'm going to read the whole passage again. See if you can hear what he says four times. What happened? While we were yet helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Why, one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we are now justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I know it's a mouthful, but we've already looked at a bunch of it. There is something that Paul introduces as the cause, as the reason for this change. Christ died for us. Going back to the first question, pop quiz question. What did Jesus do? What did he do? What did he do? He made a dead person alive. He made an inheritor of damnation an inheritor of salvation. And how did he do it? By taking our sins upon himself and nailing them to the cross. Going back to Colossians. You who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ. How? Having canceled the bond. How? He nailed it to the cross. He died. Christ died. Christ died. Christ died, Paul says. Now, before you think that I'm trying to explain everything about the Bible tonight, I'm not. There's just five verses. And so there's a whole lot else that needs to be said on this topic. But this is the center of it, okay? This is the center of it. So the first question, who is Jesus? I haven't answered it yet. That's going to come at the end. I jumped right to the second question. What has he done? If y'all can't answer what he has done yet, then I am a miserable and failed attempt at preaching. What has Christ done? He has died. And what is the benefit of his death? I have moved from this thing to this thing, which is a big deal, from death to life, from being dead. Now I am alive. Why? Because I'm a really good person. Absolutely not. Because he's a really good God. So what has Christ done? Next question. What is he doing now? What is he up to? 
He died. He rose. On the 40th day, he went to heaven and he's going to come again. What is he doing? Just pull it to your mind what you think he's doing right now. Don't try to tell me because I get all kinds of goofy answers, playing ping pong with the angels, stuff like this. Like, I don't even want to hear what you think he's doing right now. I'm going to tell you what he's doing right now. How do you know? How do you possibly know? Guess what? Scripture tells us what Jesus is doing right now. In Mark chapter 16, verse 19. So the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken with them, was taken up into heaven. And now he sits down at the right hand of God. Really, that's what he's doing right now? Sitting on a chair by the Father? Well, yes. But he's doing something while he's doing that. John chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. I will draw all men to myself. So what's this lifting up? Of course it means he's lifted up on the cross. But it alludes to the fact that he's going to be lifted up in his ascension glory. And when he is lifted up through his death on the cross and through his ascension to the Father's right hand, he is going to draw all people to himself. That is what he is doing right now. He is drawing you to himself. That's what he's doing. He is drawing you. He is drawing you. Are you sure he's not like judging me? He is drawing you. That's what he said he's going to be doing. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 24, for Christ has entered not into a sanctuary made with hands, a copy of the true one, but into heaven itself. Not to appear in the presence of God, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So what is he doing? He entered into heaven. And what is he doing there? He is appearing in the presence of the Father on our behalf. What is he doing right now? He's drawing you to himself. What is he doing right now? He's standing before the Father for you. He's standing before the Father for you. That's what he's doing. That's what he always does. Let's go a little deeper into this. What is he doing? Where is he now? He's in heaven, sitting on the right of his Father. That's where he is. What is he doing? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24. His priesthood remains permanently and forever because he continues forever. Therefore, he is able to, for all time, he is able to save those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So what is Jesus doing right now? He is interceding before the Father for you. That's what he's doing. Romans chapter 8, it is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. So Hebrews and Romans says it. First John chapter 2, if there was any doubt. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the expiation, eliminator for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus right now is your advocate before the Father to expiate all of the sins of the whole world. That's what he's doing right now. So some of you might be asking a question. 
this guy was supposed to be talking about the Eucharistic revival. All he's doing is talking about Jesus and what he's up to. Yeah. 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 What is the Eucharistic revival? The Eucharistic revival is a rediscovery of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, what he's doing right now, and how we ought to respond to that. So I said at the beginning, if I did my job right, I won't even need to explain the revival because you will get it by what I said. Okay, but what is he doing? You already told us what he's doing. No, 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 no. I'm not done telling you what he is doing. This is where it bears upon the revival all the way. Right now, Jesus is bathed in glory, right? Like he truly rose from the dead. He truly ascended. He truly took his uh, resurrected body and now is bathed in glory. He has a glorified body united with his divine soul before the Father in heaven. That's what he is. That's who he is. And that's what he's doing right now in heaven. Actually, that's what's happening. Okay, so that's where he is. We've just heard what he's doing. He's bathed in his Father's glory in heaven. He's accomplished a worldwide salvation, and he is continuing to intercede for salvation to come to us before his father in this eternal priesthood. That's what we just heard from Mark, John, Hebrews, and Romans. Here's what we believe that what he's doing meets us. This is from the Catechism, paragraph 1115. Jesus' words and actions during his life on earth, his earthly ministry, his life and his actions, they were already salvific. They were already saving us for they anticipated the power of this Paschal mystery. So everything that Jesus does, doesn't matter what he does, it's a saving work because he's the God man. So when he walks, he's saving us. When he breathes, he's saving us. Everything that he says and everything that he does is saving but it all culminates in his Paschal mystery. And so these words and deeds announced and prepared what he was going to give the church when all was accomplished. Stay with me on this just for a moment. They announced and prepared what he was going to give the church when all was accomplished. The mysteries of Christ's life are the foundations of what he would henceforth dispense in the sacraments through the ministers of his church. Four, Quote from St. Leo, what was visible in our Savior has passed over into his mysteries. All right, mouthful, catechism always is. What is this saying, if I can summarize it? Jesus came, he dwelt on this earth, he died, he rose, he did a lot of things. He saved us at the cross. All of that that he did historically is now bound up in his heavenly presence and he communicates the power of all of that work through the sacraments. That's what the church teaches. St. Leo, what was visible in our Savior has now passed into his mysteries. So what does that mean? Everything, the entire power of Christ Jesus is communicated through the mysteries of the church, the sacraments of the church. Let me say it one other way, the way that the catechism does in 1116. The sacraments are 
powers that come forth from the body of Christ. Sacraments are powers that come forth from the body of Christ. You remember when there was a woman who came to him and she touched and he said, I have experienced power go out from me. Remember the passage, right? I have experienced power has gone out from me. What the catechism is saying is that what Jesus is doing right now in heaven, he has bound up all of his salvation that he has accomplished already in history, his death and resurrection and ascension. He's gathered all of that up into cosmic power and he communicates cosmic salvation power from heaven to us now through his body. Jesus Christ is the head of the church and the church is his body. Power came out from his body. The head is in heaven and he communicates power from his body through the sacraments. The church communicates the power of the risen and glorified Savior through the encounters that we have in the sacred mysteries. That's what is happening right now. That's what's happening. The Savior whose death and resurrection moves you from death to life communicates that moving power from death to life when we encounter him, the head who's in heaven, through his body, which is his church on earth. That's what the catechism says. That's why I started with half an hour telling you what he has done. Because every time that you approach a sacrament, you're encountering that power. You're being transported, if you want to say it this way, to Calvary being washed in his blood. You're being transported to the upper room where the disciples were and Jesus takes bread and wine, changes it into, changes it into his body and his blood and he feeds you with it so that you have heaven's power in you. That's where Jesus is and that's what he's doing now. First question I asked, I never answered it. What did he do? I think I answered it. Where is he now and what is he doing now? I think I answered it. Come back to the first question. This is where I want it to become very personal. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? In light of this, who is he? Who is he? I'll tell you who he is. He's the savior of the human race. The sole savior of the human race. He's the king and he is the Lord of all of history. He's the one who helps the helpless. He's the one who forgives the sinner. He's the one who reconciles the enemy. He's the one who justifies the ungodly. He's the one who finds his lost one. He's the one who heals his sick one. He's the one who saves the damned one. And he's the one who makes alive the dead one. That is who Jesus is. Who is he to you though? I get mad. Maybe you can tell. I get mad when people say, you know, Jesus, he just, you know, he, 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 he makes my life a little bit better. It's not the same Jesus. I don't know who that is that you're talking about. Maybe a guy with the same name, but that's not the same guy I know. 
He doesn't make my life better. Sometimes he makes it worse. <laughs> In the here and now. <laughs> He's the savior. So what, what have I been trying to accomplish here? Just to kind of bring you into my preparation. I've been trying to shake loose anything in you that is an error about who this man is, okay? Just shake it loose, shake it out. He doesn't merely make a good life better, otherwise you can take or leave him. He doesn't merely help you become a good person, otherwise he's not really a savior, but he's like a helper. In fact, if that's it, then he's just like a helper so that you can continue to be your own savior. That's disgusting. He causes your salvation by the work which he has done, not the work that you have done or need to do. So it's, this is to all the people who think they need to save themselves. I'm talking right to you. I got to try harder. I got to be better. I got to get myself together. I got to figure this out. I got to really go for it. I got to do all these things. Okay, great. You're going to try to climb up into the savior seat. How's that going for you? It's never going to work. It never has worked because there's only one who can do it. And his name is Jesus. So let him save you. Just let him save you. It's what he wants to do. It's what he wants to do. It's all he wants to do is save you. Who is he to you? He causes your salvation. Not because you're good, but because he's good. What I'm trying to do is to get the focus off of you and onto him. Notice this when you say this. Well, I'm going to go to hell if I do this, or I'm going to go to heaven to if I do this. You're focusing on you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is what he has done and who he is. Otherwise, it's not the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus. Not about me, not about you. So the Eucharistic revival, this is my conclusion. Pretty goofy for a dude that works full time for a revival to do it as a conclusion thought. But I would contend that I have already accomplished it by preaching the scriptures to you. The Eucharistic revival the desire of the church in America, of the bishops and those who are laboring for a revival is that you, whoever you are, wherever you are, would recognize this. I was dead. I was lost. I was captured. I was damned. I was destined to hell. And because Christ Jesus came, and because Christ Jesus died, and because Christ Jesus rose, and because Christ Jesus ascended, and because Christ Jesus lives to intercede for me, and because Jesus, who is the head, communicates all of the power of his body through his body to me through the sacraments, because of all of that, I've been transferred from all of that, and now I'm alive. And now I'm found, and now I am claimed, and now I'm part of a family, and now I am saved, and now I have the promise of heaven because of what he has done for me. That's what the church wants you to say and believe and tell at least yourself in the mirror. 
and everybody else you see tomorrow and let them call you crazy because you have a savior. I've been washed in his blood because I was at the cross through the sacraments and he gives it all to me now through the power that is flowing from his body sacraments. I've been washed. I'm clothed in grace. I'm nourished by his heavenly body and blood. Baptism and the Holy Eucharist bring me into contact with him right now and share with me everything that he has accomplished in history. And so as we stand here, looking at what he has done for us, as you are here, looking at what he's done for you, what's your response? What's your response? The missionaries of charity have a question that they ponder before they go to bed. They have to ask themselves this question. Jesus died for you. Did you live for him today? Is this love for love? What's your response? What's your response to a savior who has loved? Hopefully it's a response of love. Hopefully it's a response of accepting his love and loving him in return. He gave his whole life for us that we might have eternal life with him. What is your response? I'm just going to say a prayer. And I hope you say it too, in your own heart, in your own mind. Or use better words, I don't care. Jesus, I give my whole life to you. I accept your gift of salvation. I was dead. And you made me alive because you died and rose from the grave. Thank you, Jesus, for your cross and resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, for continuing to share yourself with us. Jesus, fill me, fill us with love for your sacraments, the power which goes out from your glorified body. Help me, Jesus, to love you. Help me to love you in your sacraments. Help me to love you in the Eucharist. I believe that you are truly present in the Eucharist because you said you are and you never lie. I place my trust, my future, and my salvation in you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.